Are you struggling in your faith? Are you pretending you're happy but stuck in a spiritual rut? Are you tired of listening to famous pastors and preachers who make it sound so easy? Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Protestant and Catholic voice in America. I talk about the important things that nobody else is talking about, like how to align with God's plan for your life, because I believe this is where 90% of Christians get stuck. And I tackle the negative self-talk that we all secretly struggle with but won't admit. My guests are brave Protestants and Catholics who share their struggles, their fears, and their daily holy habits that help them win in their spiritual lives. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist and a spiritual coach to Christian business owners and CEOs who are married with children. This show was created for you, the broken Catholic, who's pushing to get your spouse, your kids, and yourself to heaven. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're just one surrender prayer away. Today, my featured guest is Darla Harms, and she is the CEO and founder of Small Town Girls Play Big, a faith-based personal and professional organization for women. After giving her life to Christ at the age of 18 years old, Darla began developing a heart to see more spiritual growth in small towns and to bring a faith-based perspective in the areas of leadership, business, relationships, finances, and health and wellness uh, to the lives of women. Darla is a certified John Maxwell coach, speaker, and trainer, and a trained mindset coach uh, with the Arbinger Institute. Darla also has a master's degree in leadership from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and Dollar is the author of two books. The one she's most proud of is No, no Fat Chicks, Overcoming Body Shame and Living in Authenticity. And her other book, Small Town Girls Play Big in Business. So I wanted to bring Dollar on the show because she was recommended through another guest, Rhea Story. Uh, maybe you've listened to her episode. And, um, you know, Darla here, she's got a story about overcoming. Um, you know, shame and, and the adversity that she went through with that. So we're going to get into her story in order for you to hear your story um, and to see it with clarity. Maybe you uh, don't understand why God's allowing you to go through what you're going through right now, BC Nation. Maybe you're wondering, God, why is it lasting so long? When is it going to finally be over? So we're going to uh, really dive into some of those questions and hopefully you'll find answers in Darla's story. Uh, so Darla, welcome to Broken Catholic, number one podcast on iTunes for Protestants and Catholics. Uh, go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? First of all, thanks for having me this morning. And uh, just a couple great things about me. I've been married for almost 20 years to my absolute best best friend. He is amazing. And I'm looking forward to another 20 years, of course. I have two amazing boys, Joshua and Caleb. Uh, Josh is 19, Caleb is 17. They are the light of my life and absolutely love being a mom and a wife. And I am a dog lover. So I have two dogs and I would have more, but my house is not big enough. <laughs> dogs rule the world, people. Yes, amen. For all you dog lovers out there, you're welcome. All right, Darla, um, go ahead and share something personal about you that very few people in your business life actually know. 
I am a avid Christmas music lover. So I listen to Christmas music all year. Not well, now it's perfect, right? Because it's Christmas season, but Christmas music chills my heart. Uh, probably because it reminds me of my father and he is the most influential person uh, in my life. And so if I'm having a bad day, I'll just pop on some Christmas music and I can calm down rather quickly. Mm, that's so cool. You know, my wife is like, don't put on the Christmas music until like two weeks before Christmas, at the very least, like not after Halloween, seriously, people, right? And I get it. But then hearing uh, your perspective that it's nostalgic for you, you associate to your That's father, right. um, I totally get that. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into your story. Uh, take us back in time. Um, did you grow up in a home of faith? Was God present in your family? Was he not? Uh, then walk us through the early teenage adolescent years when we just rebel against everyone, including God, and then into our college years uh, where sometimes we lose our faith, we give up our faith, and maybe we circle back or not. But kind of take us uh, through that uh, story as quick as you can, yeah? I would love to. Um, so no, I was not raised in a faith-based home. I was raised going to a Presbyterian church. Uh, we They were a proud, boastful community that said they were the frozen chosen. And <laughs> I always, I look back and laugh because I'm like, why are you proud of that? Um, great little community, about 30 or 40 members. I grew up going every Sunday, but faith wasn't something, was something you did on Sunday. It wasn't something you brought home or to work or to your life. And uh, although I was raised in a very ethical home, uh, my parents were, I, I really had terrific parents, very honest, hardworking people, loved me unconditionally, had a great marriage growing up. So, you know, I was really fortunate uh, my dad, a terrific father. Everybody should have a dad like my dad. He was a phenomenal human being and just it made it easy for me to become a Christian because my perception of a father was very good, very clear, no abuse. He wasn't mean. He wasn't, I can count on one hand the number of times he ever raised his voice at me. So, but I really respected him. I never, I didn't rebel against him. Although I was a bit of a rebel, uh, I had some, you know, issues, and um, but he loved me in spite of them. So, growing up, uh, going to church, that you know, entered those teenage years, did all the things, partied, drank, uh, relationships with boys that were very unhealthy, very insecure girl, and um, <clears throat> not a lot of self worth. I, you know, was labeled with a learning disability in the sixth grade and told by my seventh grade teacher I would never go to college because my grades weren't high enough. So, you know, that, that sticks with you. A lot of body shame growing up. So that's a lot of my testimony and why I wrote the book, <clears throat> excuse me, No Fat Chicks, because uh, my body shame goes back to seven years old when <clears throat> a family member said, Darla, you don't want to be overweight because you get called tubby when you're overweight. And it was so after this uh, relative said, you don't want to be called tubby because you're overweight, I began to realize maybe there's something wrong with my appearance. And so that was the beginning, <clears throat> I'm so sorry, of a journey of focusing inward on my looks. And I went to high school, drank a lot, but the, the hardest part for high school was me, and now we call it bullying. Back then it was just kind of normal. 
uh, for p- kids to pick on you and you just beat them up and moved on. So um, I couldn't beat this guy. I was a bigger kid than me. And um, there was, I was, I loved basketball. So I was in the middle of this basketball game and I was coming down the court as a point guard. I'm only five, four. So, you know, there's no other position really. And, and everybody was on the team, right? Because it was a small town. So uh, I'm coming down the court and I hear him from the audience say, Hey, look at the fat chick coming down the court. And I just, it just hit me. It really was a traumatic event for me because he said it in front of a gymnasium full of people and everybody heard him. And so I just, for whatever reason, that event and that moment was really profound for me. Um, I couldn't pull myself together after he said that. I went and sat on the bench. The coach pulled me. I was like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. And I could hear him and the guys from my class laughing at me because they were sitting behind me. And that propelled him through high school to continue to call me fat. And he did some other things that were unspeakable and just um, very inappropriate. So one night after a game, he tried choking me in the hallway and just yell, you know, telling me all these things that are wrong with my appearance and with me. And um, fortunately, it was a really dark hallway. One of my classmates came out and pulled him off. And so it's just one of those things where it was physical abuse and emotional abuse. And so uh, I didn't tell anybody really because we didn't talk about it back then. You know, this is back in the 80s. I graduated in 91. So, you know, back then you just kind of sucked it up and it was just part of life. And so went into college, uh, I, um, well, as a result of that, and there was a woman at my church, she was the pastor of our church. She was um, a Hungarian refugee who came over to the United States and was a lay pastor um, at our little Presbyterian church. And while she didn't talk a lot about Jesus, she did love me unconditionally. And Ilona was my best friend and that was, I started drinking and partying around 14, 15 years old. And this young man, all of that started happening around that time as well. But I always had Ilona to go to. Um, so Ilona, actually, she passed away suddenly when I was 15. And then uh, some other things happened with this guy. And it just, I went into depression. And we, you know, back then we didn't know what that was called. So I just started drinking more on the weekends. I was drinking a lot. And so um, when I was about 17, I was very suicidal and very depressed, sat in um, my bedroom. And I was like, God, if you're real, you know, I really could use some help. I'm just bawling because I just hate my life. Um, I don't think I'm smart. I don't think I'm pretty. Uh, This kid's bugging the crud out of me. I'm drinking more than I should. I have the wrong kind of boyfriends. And... So I thought, you know, I'm just done with all of this. I don't have anything to bring to this world. And I pulled the Bible that Ilona gave me, you know, in Presbyterian church, you get, go through confirmation. And so I went through that, got a Bible, though never taught to read it. We didn't read our Bible at home. Our church didn't teach that you should do that outside of church. But I picked it up anyway. And I just, one of those moments, and this is ironic because I heard this on your last podcast. I said, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And I opened it up and I put my finger on a verse and it was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lay not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. 
So I was like, man, that's pretty good. Okay, that's that's a keeper. So I memorized it. Obviously, didn't move forward with my plans to end my life. I never told anybody about that night, though, because it was it was odd. Nobody ever talked like that in my circle about having an encounter with God. And that's exactly what happened. It was my first real encounter with God. And it was palpable. I could feel it in the room that now I believe it was the Holy Spirit, right? I believe God was speaking to me and it, Lord, like, why me? Why would he pick me? So I go on um, from that night, continue to party and make really poor choices. Um, but still have that hope that there's something else for me. So one of the things I was actually kind of good at, I wasn't awesome, but I was a musician and I love to sing and I could play the piano. And um, so I loved music and all the eighties music, right? Just loved all of that. And I didn't like our church music so much. It was just a bunch of hymns, but you know, the Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson's of the world were my, were my coping mechanism through high school. And so I, um, we were, I was driving around on Sunday night with a girlfriend. There was a concert at our local theater and it was free. I was like, Hey, let's go check it out. Well, it ended up being a group called new light singers and orchestra out of Colorado Springs. It was a Christian group of 16 to 21 year old kids. And they sang music I'd never heard. I mean, it sound, it was very contemporary. It was amazing music. And this girl gets up in the middle of this concert and she says this is for somebody here tonight and she reads proverbs 3 5 and 6 and that same presence was in the room and i was like here it is again and here's that verse again what is going and i'm just bawling my head off my girlfriend is freaking out she's like what is wrong with you so i don't even know but i know god is showing himself to me i just don't know what to do with it so at the intermission the Baptist minister's wife comes up and says, Darla, why don't you audition to go on this tour? And um, I did, told them I was a Christian because I went to church. And they, uh, a few months later, I found that I was accepted to go. That was, I found that out my senior year. And um, in the summer of 1991, I traveled around the United States with this Christian singing group and it changed my life forever. I encountered God on a consistent basis and I began to realize that Christ was the reason I was having this encounter. And in August of 1991, I finally surrendered my life. It wasn't like one prayer. It was like a lot of prayers that summer. But I remember it was the last concert and I walked out of there thinking, this is for me. And I don't know how to have this moving forward, but I'm gonna go find it. I'm gonna change my life. And, and that's exactly what happened. Mm. BC Nation, are you moved and inspired right now, like I am? This is God's story told through Darla's life. There she was in a place of darkness, a dark hallway period of her life. And God came and found her. But she had to ask, right? God, help me. Where are you? If you're real, come, show me. And he did. And then he pursued her like a lover, right? He romances yep. us, right? He pursued her. And as you heard in her story, she didn't change her behavior overnight. She still kept some of the negative 
sinful possibly behaviors. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right? And God doesn't quit on us just because we are not perfect. Right? He doesn't expect us to go from like total sinful lifestyle to cold turkey perfection. That's not an expectation of God. That's an expectation we put on ourselves most of the time. I agree with that. That's or right. Other people in church put that expectation. It's a mm -hmm. false one. Mm -hmm. But rather what God wants is slow, gradual change. Slow, gradual pursuing him back. Because then you know it's real. It's not just a flash in the pan sort of experience. It's not just feelings and emotions. And you're just riding on this high and you're like, you say a prayer and like, that's it. And then you slowly go back to your lifestyle, right? No, what God wants is you to slowly shift one behavior. Then ask him for help with the next. Then help ask him for help with the next. I call it blowing up rocks, right? We got all these rocks in our head, rocks around our heart from human experiences that just go wrong. We hurt each other. And God wants to blow up all those rocks that are standing in between you and him. Right. Standing in your path. Yeah. Right? So, Darla, thank you for sharing uh, that story. I know there's more after your college years. Uh, speak to my listener right now that uh, is inspired right now, but they go, wow, that's awesome, Darla. That happened for you, but... My situation is different, and maybe I've asked for God to, to come and show up or, you know, change my situation, but he hasn't. What should I do? What would you say to them? I would say keep your faith. Faith is what we don't see. And to continue to believe, you know, in Matthew, it talks about, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. So keep going, keep pursuing, keep leaning in. And who are you as you lean in? Who are you becoming on that journey? And God is everywhere. It doesn't have to be a big stamp, high level moment that changes your life forever. You can encounter God on a walk. You can encounter God in music. You can encounter God in a relationship. God is everywhere. And whatever we focus on, we magnify. So what if you're focusing on how God isn't showing up, that's exactly what you're going to find is all the ways he's not showing up for you. But if you'll start to focus on where he is, where is he? Is he in the sunrise? Is he in the sunset? Is he um, in a story? Is he in a moment? For me that, you know, when I talk about my dad and I go back to Christmas time as a kid with my father, that that to me is God, that moment of peace and joy and hope and love is where God, I just have to remind myself. I have to remind myself where he's been. And yes, college forward, I didn't always encounter God. I struggled to see him. It is not a perfect walk. I did not live a perfect life after I, after I made the decision to follow him. I still made mistakes, but I can look back and see where he's worked and land there. I can focus on that. And I think uh, I, I'm a huge believer in gratitude um, and sitting in a space of gratitude. And I have a practice where I do it consistently, not every day, unfortunately, but I do it a lot. And gratitude is, a, is one of those emotions that can change the chemical makeup and um, 
you know, physiology of the brain, our brains are malleable, you know, they can, they have chemical reactions all the time. And I think gratitude is one of those things that can change that. So there's a lot to be grateful for. If you live in America, you should be grateful. If you had a Thanksgiving meal, you should be grateful. If you have lights on and a roof over your head, a bed to sleep in water and indoor plumbing, you know, I've met women through my organization that don't even have those, those basic necessities. We are so blessed in this country. So, and sometimes I wonder if American Christianity keeps us from really encountering God because we almost don't need it, right? If I'm sick, I go to the doctor. You know, I, I can find everything I need in America. So that in alone is, is God, right? That's terrific. So that's what I would say to that person. Keep going, keep leaning in, and whatever you focus on, you magnify. Okay. So going forward where have you resisted god um well moving forward you know my shame journey didn't end when i gave my life to christ um it just really continued because um i know this now as a coach and mindset coach leadership coach mindset coach that our subconscious mind is powerful and it holds these memories and they um they are what you might call the habit brain, right? They're just tucked away in maybe a warehouse or something and you get triggered and you bring it to the conscious. And until you dig into that space, um, it's just gonna keep coming forward. So as believers, we have to take Christ, we have to take the Holy Spirit back to those spaces to heal it. It doesn't happen automatically when you give your life to Christ. I, so I'm a firm believer in coaching, uh, counseling, good mental health practice says, you know, Jesus is the answer. Of course, he's the answer. But so are the people that God has put here on the earth to help us with those issues. And so we've got to dig in. Uh, one of my probably biggest pet peeves is this whole, I, if I'm just positive, I'm going to be positive all the time, movement. So that law of attraction, I can attract all the positive things in my life. I don't disagree with some of that. But I think it's in the deconstruction of the negative when we bring it to light that we find healing. And that creates more positivity down the road. So I can settle for this amount of positivity or I can work really hard on deconstructing the negative so I can have this amount of positivity. And so for me, um, I ignored my shame. Uh, I went into college. I gained, unfortunately, that summer traveling all over the United States, I gained about 30 pounds. And um, at the time when I left home, I weighed probably 150 uh, at five foot four, you know, I'm at the top of my weight range. And then I put on 30 pounds and I came back home after this amazing tour. And that kid is still in my hometown, right? The first thing he says to me is, God, you really are fat. You know, you've just gotten so fat. And I'm like, oh, you thought I was fat. Now I'm fatter. I was like, it's just so frustrating. And so I got it off. I, I went to college. I worked out. I lost the weight. In fact, um, I was really buff. Um, and it turned into, I'd say I would say I dabbled with an eating disorder. At first it was I didn't eat enough because I wanted to get the weight off. And then I experimented with bulimia because I was working out lifting weights and running. And I was fit. I mean, I was a size eight you know, at five, four, I think that's pretty normal. That's a pretty healthy side. I never thought I was though. I never thought it was enough. And I was so afraid of gaining weight that then I started to vomit, make myself puke because I didn't want to gain it. So I did go to counseling 
and I uncovered, you know, that this guy, the past, um, unfortunately, there's a lot of, there's some sexual abuse in my past that I wasn't really aware of. I didn't realize how that affected me, some pornography um, exposure, not necessarily from my home, but from my friends' homes and that we were all, that's when, you know, the satellite dishes came out and Playboy Channel was the thing. And um, so just trying to deal with body image and how that works. So I did get some counseling. I stopped throwing up. I wasn't bulimic anymore, but I started gaining weight. So then I became, I just eat by emotions. And so um, moved forward a few years, just struggling because um, I'd lost, gained and lost. I went my first, I got, went to grad school, got my degree in leadership. And then I went to work for a church because I did have a heart for music and worship music. I thought, man, if I could take leadership and worship to combine them, uh, grad school was the best experience of my life. I mean, it was awesome. I rocked it. So I just loved the leadership. I began to understand that God had put a desire to build leaders in my heart, that I actually have the gift of leadership and the gift of teaching. So I wanted to train up leaders as well. So go to this church, lost some weight, um, get hit on by the pastor that I'm working for, you know, told, hey, you want to have an affair? I'm really attracted to you. Like, ah, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm doggone if I don't and doggone if I do, right? It's like, if I'm overweight, then I'm fat. And if I'm underweight, then I'm getting hit on from people in authority. And I had that experience in college. I actually turned in a professor for being inappropriate. And so I'm just like, I'm so sick of this world. And I really got frustrated with God because I'm like, can anybody just act, can these men not act Christ-like? towards me. Where are they? And my father was one of them. So it's not, it was just what, whatever I focused on and magnified, right? All I could focus on was who was being inappropriate. I didn't focus on who was appropriate. So, um, and I, when I first met my husband, neither one of us were walking with God. So, um, here's where my shame story expounds in a huge, um, I don't know if it's really a failure now, but I did get pregnant before I was married as a believer. So there's a lot of shame behind that as well. Uh, however, that is not a regret that I have because I have a 19 year old son who is a phenomenal human being. And um, I'm actually proud that I chose to keep him. A lot of women came at Christians, came up to me, women who said they had abortion because of shame, because they were embarrassed they got pregnant. And if they took that to their church, they would be shamed and kicked out. And so, you know, I'm really proud that I did not allow shame to lead me through that. Yeah, he is, he's amazing. He's actually in our school of ministry right now at our church and wants to become a lawyer. So I'm just super proud of him and, um, but still had lots of shame issues, you know, have another family member that I'm, it's on my husband's side, thin, beautiful, <laughs> but Four months after I had my second son, she said, Darla, you know, harms men really like their women thin. And, you know, just stuff like that. Why can't you lose weight? Or uh, I went shopping with her one time and she she loves pink. I don't like pink. No offense, pink people. Loving people. I'm more of a black and gray jeans kind of gal. So um, I was going to this big conference looking for some clothes and she wanted me to wear this pink suit. I said, there, you know, what? I'm wearing a pink suit. That's just not me. She goes, just try it on. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to be disrespectful. So I put it on and she's like, see, you don't always have to look masculine. 
I'm like, what? I don't look masky. Like, it just stuff like that over the years. Um, had a client tell me I'd never be a public speaker because I'm not eye candy. And just, you know, how those comments kept coming over the years. And I really just think it's the enemy trying to keep me from uh, being a public figure and helping women and showing them how they can overcome this stuff. So that's why the book No Fat Chicks was written is because I finally worked through that. Okay, so every listener wants to know, what was the magic pill? What was the silver bullet that uh, got you over shame? Um, because obviously life shows up with it. The enemy mm -hmm. attacks us. He attacks our identity, like that boy in the hallway speaking lies and death into us. Um, how did you finally overcome it? I went to counseling. So I um, was asked to speak at a large event here in, I live in Georgia. And it was a Christian, or it wasn't a Christian event, it was a banking event, Georgia Bankers Association. It was a leadership for women event. And it was for the entire state of Georgia. And they asked me to be one of the keynotes. And at the time I'd been asked to, why don't I record more stuff? Why am I not more in public? Put your stuff out on video or on YouTube. And it terrified me because I thought, if somebody sees what I look like, they're not gonna listen to me because my identity is totally tied to shame. I mean, it's tied to that perception that I must not be very attractive. I must not be worthy of, I mean, I know I've been studying leadership for 25 years. I know something about it. I've helped lots of organizations change and create a leadership culture that is thriving and functional and healthy. I can do that, but to speak in front of people on camera just terrified me. I thought there's no way I can move forward because somebody somewhere is going to try to shame me for my appearance. So I'm like, this, is, this isn't right, though. This isn't from God. That is not God. So I think the first thing is you got to understand, be aware of your shame. That is step number one. You need to know what the lie is. That's a lie that people won't listen to you because of the way you look. They probably don't give it a thought. And if they do, that's on them. That's their problem, not yours. So absolutely, you've got to be aware. Um, the counselor had me read a book, and that's where this title, No Fat Chicks, comes in. I read the book, and it was this woman who had an addiction and um, issues and specifically an eating disorder and a lot of body shame. She told the story how she went to this fraternity party, and there was a sign above a door that said, No Fat Chicks, at a fraternity party. And when I read that it's the God spoke to me and he goes, that's what you've been seeing over your life is a sign above every door that says no fat chicks. And you don't think you're worthy enough to enter. And that's BS like knock it off. That's get rid of the sign. And I knew it. And I just wept and I wept and I wept. I'm like, Oh my goodness. That's right. I think there's a no fat chick sign on everything I ever do. And it's time to get rid of it because it's not God. That is not God. And if somebody, here's, here's this, I feel this for whoever's listening. If somebody has told you that, you've got to learn how to discern what is God and what is not God. Just because there might be a Christian who says they love God and goes to church and reads their Bible and they, 
shame is not God. Jesus never shamed anybody, not one person. He never used shame as a motivator for change. You know, he revealed his ministry to the woman at the well. Five kids, been married multiple times. I don't know what she looks like. I don't even care. All I care about is that he chose the least likely person. He never shamed her. He believed in her. And he said, listen, don't knock it off. You know, you're not making the best choices. Yeah, if you will follow me, I got it. You, you will have enough. You'll drink from a well that never runs dry. Your life will be full. If you'll just listen to me, stop listening to all this other junk and follow him. So we have to be able to discern. We got to get in the word. We get in, you know what? We need to get the right church because if a church has to shame you to get you to follow Jesus, it's the wrong church. Um, it's the wrong body of Christ. I am so blessed to belong to Grace City Church here in um, Leesburg, Georgia, that is a phenomenal grace-filled church, and we don't do that there. So that's first, is identify what is the shame. I had to recognize the sign over my door. And then second, I had to figure out how to get some resiliency and grit around it because I needed a little bit thicker skin because it, just because you recognize shame doesn't mean it's not going to keep coming at you in some form, right? I call it a glass bubble. I just want things to bounce off of me now. I need thick skin. My uh, pastor's wife, she said um, in a sermon, I try to live an unoffended life. And I'm like, you know what? That's for me. I want to live an unoffended life. I don't want to carry this baggage around anymore. That's a choice. John Maxwell says you can't lead others until you lead yourself. And that was profound for me because we, um, we, not only do we need to influence others correctly, we need to influence ourselves correctly. And if leadership is influence, it's not just about other people, it's about what I allow into me. And so I started setting some firm boundaries with this family member so that I could stay unoffended so that if I did get around, it could bounce, but I really limited interaction. I had, I had much better boundaries. Um, I didn't listen to everything they said. If my husband was around, they typically didn't say anything to me because he would have cleaned their clock, right? He would have just taken care of it. And so I'm like, okay, he's my protector and I just need to allow that to happen. So if I'm around this person, he always has to be with me. So I don't have to, it's just a boundary. Um, the other thing is I need to know what I'm worth. That's the third thing. I, it just blows my mind. I think the greatest dichotomy of this century is that we are the most informed, well-educated, prosperous. I mean, we have everything going for us, but we still don't know our worth. Those things are not tied to worth. If you don't have worth without them, you'll never have it with them. So you've got to know your worth and who you are in Jesus Christ. Uh, I love Romans chapter 8. He uses the things that are foolish to the world, and he breathes life into them. These are my interpretation of that, just so people, I'm misquoting it. But just that he breathes life, and he takes things that are foolish and makes them glorious. That's who he is. And it's never about you. It's always about him. And then the fourth thing is to work the cycle, right? Be aware, get some resiliency and grit, know your worth. Um, and I will say there's a whole chapter in my book about forgiveness. 
and the need to forgive. Forgiveness isn't always reconciliation. Forgiveness is more for me than it is always for other people. It's like getting out the poison in my life so I can live uh, right with God. I believe true forgiveness is setting yourself free from the prison you find yourself in, but also handing the other person the key. Mm, to set that's good. Free, right? Yeah, that's you gotta great. You got to hand them the key. You can't just do it for yeah. you. You got to also hand them the key. Then it's their choice if they want to set right. themselves free. Yep, well, I right? agree. Yep. All right. Darla, Darla, Darla. I don't know. BC Nation, do you feel like me like you're sitting in the audience right now? in like a theater and there's just this phenomenal motivational inspiring leadership speaker up on stage just speaking right to your heart and trying to get through your mind to get there and like really just calling you into believing not just in yourself but believing in your father in heaven Mm. and knowing that you come from him and knowing your worth being aware of your shame sign, what's the sign hanging over every door you walk through. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, stop listening to the voices of shame all around you. They're not going to stop. That's life. That's the world. Right. And then become unoffendable. Become unoffendable. How do you do it? Well, know your worth. How do you know your worth? Get to know your Heavenly Father. That's right. He made you. That's where you're going to find your worth. Okay? So, Darla fantastic show thank you so much that's probably the least i've ever spoken on an episode uh which is great because i was in the presence of a good speaker Um, so i relinquished the stage so to speak in the mic so thank you for that i think you brought a ton of value to our listeners Uh, welcome to my favorite part of the show welcome to the confession round i'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions you'll have about three seconds to answer each don't overthink it it's just for fun it's like a game show are you ready awesome I'm ready. What's your favorite thing about God? Father. He's a father. Exactly. What's your least favorite thing about God? I don't know what happened to the dinosaurs. (laughs) I want them back, especially (laughs) the cute ones. Uh, What are you most afraid of? Um, Losing a family member. Okay. I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life. What are you currently struggling with right now? Either building a startup yeah building a startup business okay got it i have a solution for you for that i'm what sure did, you do. what did you spend way too much time doing this past year watching netflix yeah got it what secret fear do you have about people that they will judge me hmm. what do you wish you had learned sooner about god that i wish i'd known my worth in my 20s yeah What's a new habit you want, you're going to create in your life? I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, a new I'm going to create? I typically better. ask, what's a new habit you, you want to create? But I, I want to commit people. Mm. What do you want to publicly to the world commit to? I'm going to drink more water. Okay. How much per day? 54 ounces. How much? 64. Okay. Measurable goals or attainable goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's a bad habit you're going to break? Watching too much TV. Yeah. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Passionate, compassionate, driven. 
Pick three words to describe who you were before you knew your worth. Offended, drama, insecure. And last question, if you could come back to life after you died, look <laughs> your family and friends, your husband and two boys in the eye and give them only one piece of advice about everything, mm. what would you say to them? Figure out your worth. Pursue it. Find it, lead it, go get it. Find your worth and anything is possible. In God, in God. In God. All right, BC Nation, we've been speaking with Darla Harms and she's been teaching us how to finally eliminate the shame from our lives. All right, so any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about uh, just eliminating that shame once and for all? Not wrestling with it anymore. Like getting it out, being done with it. Uh, journal. Get to the truth. Journaling is very therapeutic. Do a brain dump. Highlight what's true when you're done. Focus on the truth. Find the truth and surround yourself with the right people who can help you with that. So the law of attraction says I become like the top five average people I spend the most time with. If you're spending time with the wrong people and they have a lot of shame too, you kind of feed the bear. So find people who have worked through their shame and follow them. And make sure one of those five people, BC Nation, that you spend the most time with is Jesus, who is the way, Absolutely. the truth, and the life. All right, Darler Harms, uh, where does BC Nation go to find out more about you, pick up your book, get in touch, possibly coach with you in an official coaching capacity? What do you got? So you can go to smalltowngirlsplaybig.com. Uh, you can subscribe to get our newsletter and any information that I'm sending out. You can sign up to become a member. You can uh, send me an email. If you're looking for a speaker or you want a coach, you send it through that email. Uh, my email is also darla at darlaharmsleadership.com. That's my personal email. You are free to use that and contact me. Um, my book is in the store on my website, little button says store, um, no fat chicks is there. And then small town girls play big in business is also a faith-based book about women who started their businesses with a great deal of faith. They're all believers and how God has used them in a mighty way to build them up. And I even share a little bit of shame about my learning issues um, in that particular book and how I worked through them. So that's where you can find it. Darla, thank you for being on Broken Catholic. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy mm, in your to life. To you, to you as well, my friend. Have you tried absolutely everything and nothing has worked? Have you tried therapy? Have you tried coaching? Have you tried counseling, Christian counseling? Nothing's worked for you, for your spouse. You just want better communication. When you wake up, do you feel like you want to crawl under a rock in the morning time? Is your brain so scattered and foggy at this point that you're not following through with things? You're not keeping your word in the matter. You're letting people down, maybe your own spouse or kids. Do you have way too much on your plate and you're getting more and more frustrated, which is turning into anger? Are you battling addictions right now? Are you an amped up or frantic person with a lot of anxiety and you're off and on of bipolar and depression medicines? If any of these you connect with, then what I do is specifically this. I do not do therapy. I do not do counseling. Those are for people that want to talk about their problems. 
or learn different ways to cope and manage their problems. I don't do that. Reach out to me if you want to get rid of your problems permanently. Like be done with the addiction. Be done with the medications. Be done with the escaping your life because you just feel so powerless in it. If you want those results and you want peace, it's what we all want. We're all chasing it. We had it as kids. We lost it. Life beat the crap out of us. If you want peace, that's what I sell. It's God's peace. So you can find that at josephwarren.net. You can schedule a call with me, complimentary. I'll contribute 30 minutes of my time into your life. We'll get clear on what you actually want. Then we'll see if we're, we want to work together. And that's me interviewing you to see if you're ready. Are you ready to do what it takes? Some people try to come to me, but they're not ready to be coachable. They're not ready to get rid of the problems. Again, if you don't want to talk about your problems anymore and you've tried everything and nothing has worked and you want to permanently get rid of them, go to josephwarren.net and let's see if I'm your guy.